Hello and welcome to Buns, Buns, Buns. Buns, Buns, Buns. A podcast about hairstyles in the 90s and early 2000s. Wow. Do you know that my biography is actually called Buns, Buns, Buns? Oh, wow. Which buns is it about? All of the buns. But yes. the weird thing is, okay. it's called Buns, 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 three buns. Yes. But I actually only have two. As opposed to the three buns in the title. Yeah, so where I... the other one has come from. Nobody knows. I can see why that would be confusing for mm. people. But you know what else is confusing? What? Effort? The fact that this podcast is not actually called Buns, Buns, Buns. Gasp face. It is called the No Pun Included podcast, a podcast about board games. And what board games are we going to be talking about today? Well, Elaine, we've just been to Essen Spiel. And whilst Germany is not famous for its buns, although we had some really nice pretzel rolls. It's a type of bun, right? It's not. No, no. Okay. it's breaded, but that's, that's as far as. As the bun goes it's basically schnitzel. a sandwich on its own like there's much. bread and then meat and bread again that's a sandwich, that's a sandwich. that counts okay. but do you know what you please can, don't write in you you can put a schnitzel in, in between two breads right well, that and seems like overkill that's just sandwich sandwich uh-huh. um anyway we've been to <laughs> germany and we played a lot of hot buns cardboard buns mm-hmm. such hot cardboard buns as Vast, the mysterious manner, and it's you know Halloween, so mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. time appropriate. It's also called that Christmas or Easter or whatever. But it but is seasonally released. Sure. Okay. We've also played Era, the medieval age, which is medieval times are kind <laughs> of scary, I guess. So I, I don't really. The other two are not scary in any way, but the other two are from the same designer. Alexander Fister, who's known for some hot buns that come from cows. Um, <laughs> Great Western that's just, Trail. That's rump steak. Yeah, that is just rump steak, mm-hmm. uh, indeed. I mean, that kind of works, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. Anyway, he's known for such titles as Great Western Trail, mm-hmm. Mombasa, mm-hmm. Isle of Sky. He released not one, but two games this Essence Spiel, uh-huh. Maracaibo and Expedition to Newdale. And both of them happen to be campaign games, and we have played. Both of them, and we have impressions. Should we talk about Era? Yes, let's talk about Era, the new Matt Leacock board game. And Elaine, do you know mm. what genre has been hot in 2019? Diseases. I wanted you to say roll and write so that I could say, but this isn't a roll and write board game. This is a roll and build board game. Uh-huh. <laughs> instead of a pad of paper. What do you have instead? And pencils. And dice, you still have dice. You have... <laughs> you still d- roll. You, you roll still, and build. The roll is still there. You have 3D plastic buildings. And a tray. And a tray yeah. with holes in it. And the buildings have little, little pegs. pegs and they go holes. into the mm-hmm. holes. Mm-hmm. And they become a medieval city. But you, with also, walls and everything. You also have a screen. You do, yes. To hide but, your dice rolls. Because you can't let the others see what the dice are until you dramatically reveal them and go, ha ha... This is the resources I'm getting this mm. round. Woo. Oh, woo. Okay, yeah. Wow, what an exciting reveal. Um, sorry. Uh, no, actually, it is sometimes exciting yes. because uh, sometimes you roll bad things. So there are dice that um, you do get normally get a resource. Actually, sometimes the resource is better, yeah. but it has a little skull icon on it. So when you roll it, you, there's a little chart and you compare how many skulls you've rolled to that chart. And then something bad might happen, like your buildings might set on fire. Or good, actually. It's good. a really cool. I really like this mechanism. So, the crux of um, era medieval age is that 
Each round, you're going to roll some dice. Your dice are kind of like the people in your city. Mm -hmm. They go about and do things. And they might give you resources. They might give you a building allowance, which is like how many buildings can I build this round with the resources I've collected. And uh, they also might give you various other things, but sometimes skulls, right? Mm -hmm. And the key thing is that you can re-roll your dice twice mm -hmm. each round. So you make one roll, it's behind the screen, and then you roll one more time, and if you want to, you roll one more time. But, but, you cannot re-roll the skulls. So once you get a skull, that mm. die is locked in. Mm. What it is, that's what it is. That skull is there. But the skulls are not necessarily bad. And whether they're good or bad depends on how many skulls you have rolled in total. One is, eh, whatever. Two is... It's not great, but maybe we can deal with it. And three is like, wait a minute, three is great. And four is terrible. And five <laughs> is amazing. And six is just, no, I think I've just lost the game. It's it's that sort of dichotomy. And how much are you There going... isn't push your luck there. Yeah, and mm. it's it's a really nice element of push your luck. Because mm. if, if you push a little bit more, and you know, it's, it's dice. You never know what they're going to roll, right? Mm. You know, you could, you could come out shining or devastated. So... <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I really like that little mechanism, I guess, yeah, in, yeah, in terms of rolling the dice. Okay, but I think what Ira nails completely is the sense of actually building a medieval city, mm -hmm. right? I that, understand. That is 100% there. So first of all, there's this idea of walls, mm -hmm. right? And each building that you build in your city, put little pegs in, they will score you points at the end of the game. But if those buildings are entirely enclosed within complete set of wall mm -hmm. right then they will score you double amount right. of points and that's another push your luck element because uh the only thing that's necessary for the game to end is for three types of buildings to be depleted and that might sound like it's going to take a while but actually those piles of buildings are very small and before the game gets going suddenly like two types are already gone and at any <laughs> point anyone could end the game and if a person figures out that wait a minute if i end the game now I'll probably score more points uh, if even if both our buildings uh, right. are not doubled There's in terms of points There's a couple of, of buildings values. that only have like three of them. Yes, yeah. exactly. Or two of them, I think, even like in a two-player game, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they they go pretty quickly. They disappear. They vanish mm. like butter in a butter festival. Mm. That I imagine nice. that's where butter just kind of goes, you nice. know. Uh, Butter but, on a stick. Yeah, so there's another pushy element in there. But what's beautiful is that there isn't, there is a limited amount of space on mm. the board that you are building, and and because you don't want to build buildings next to each other, and this is where the skulls come mm -hmm. back in. Because if you roll two skulls on your dice, that means you lose a point per clustered building. And guess what? That's called in the game. It's called... Disease. Because it's a Matt Leacock game, mm -hmm. so it has diseases. It's a pandemic joke. I'm sorry. So yeah, if you roll two dice, you get diseased. So you don't want buildings next to each other. You want to spread them apart. And of course, that's further detrimental because not only is your space limited, but then if you spread yourself further, the walls actually mm -hmm. have to be bigger. And it's hard to build walls because they don't do anything unlike the buildings in the other buildings in the game that you can actually build mm. because they have various cool effects. Mm. And there's three different sizes of wall. So everyone takes the big ones to and, begin with and, and leaves then the gone. tiny ones behind. So, and they're like, how am I going to build this wall? But they cost wall? the same yeah. to build. So, of course, you want to build the bigger ones. It's that eternal sense of like, oh, no, I was, I was too, too late. late. Yeah. But 
you want to build your buildings as well. You don't want to mm. waste all your resources building walls. But I think what, what your point was about it feels thematic is that you want things outside the walls as well, like the farmland. Yeah, because farmland is huge, right? And I, I remember playing this game for the first time and just realizing that, wait a minute, if I put this farm inside the walls, that's just stupid because it takes up so much space. So and it's like it, real life. Yeah, that's, and it only scores a point, thought, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and it only scores a point. So it doesn't really matter if I put it outside the walls. You know, it'll be much easier to complete the walls. And then I realize, wait a minute, I am making an actual medieval city with the farms outside the walls, right? Uh, I enjoyed playing Era mostly because you know there were just a lot of buildings that did cool things, mm. and I think that's one of the things board games are starting to forget in 2019 or like in in the in the latter days of board games where people realize that a lot of the older games have been very clunky and cumbersome because they mm-hmm. had a lot of rules so let's streamline everything and that's cool i'm very much in support of that it's just that when you streamline you can shave just a little bit too much and i like that matt leacock took a game roll through the ages mm-hmm. that he designed a, a while ago you know touched it up a little bit um they gave it a nice aesthetic boost because of the whole 3d plastic buildings thing and then you end up with a pretty compelling roll and ride game that's technically not a roll and ride game it's a roll and build mm-hmm. game and, and the buildings do cool things. You want to build them. You're excited to get something new. You're excited to put that little plastic thing into the... So do you think it would be less good if it was a roll and write then? Uh, do you think it would be less enjoyable as an experience? Well, I know what you're talking about, Elaine. You're talking about the fact that Era it's Medieval Age costs $80, $80 and is effectively a roll and write game, uh, which sometimes can be acquired for as cheap as... 10 bucks and you're still going to have a great time like with Gunshot Clever Welcome mm-hmm. to maybe a little bit more expensive but, it, oh no, but it's a different type of game from like Gunshot Clever it's a bit much meatier game than it's a different kind of enjoyable mm. and one that's a little bit more familiar to the board games of yore it's definitely a different kind of rolling right mm, mm. Mm. Um, but I, I really don't know if I would strongly recommend going out and getting Era Medieval Age because it is a really, really expensive game, and I'm not sure the aest- I mean, the aesthetics are nice, but I'm mm-hmm. not sure that they justify that price tag mm-hmm. unless this is something you feel comfortable in affording. Yeah, then why not? They you- are nice. They, they are, are nice. Pretty. Uh, there were some uh, production issues where the sh- uh, sheet that you put everything in, the plastic yes. sheet, is very. Difficult to see anything. <laughs> yeah, because it has resource values. You have these little mm. pegs to track resources. So then, like, let's say I have three wood and then I've just gained two wood. So I'll move the peg from three to five, right? But the three to five is very hard to actually visualize, which is not a big deal. I People made a big deal about that on Board Game Geek. I wasn't really that fussed because I was like, well, just take a wash and put it on. And I, I don't feel great about messing with board game components mm-hmm. I, I don't know i feel a little bit precious about that but something like a wash i think is just aesthetically pleasing and it works so well on plastic i but- think maybe because it's an 80 dollar game and it feels like it's missed the print print run yeah, or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. That, i think that's why people like they could have colored it in it. right yeah, yeah. I, I think that's pretty fair yeah because it it does make it harder to see and especially if you have sausagey fingers like i do you take the pip out and you think where did i take it out from mm-hmm. i'm sure i gave myself one extra resource or one fewer resource yeah. than i should have had in that game because 
I lost where I, I'd taken it out from. Yeah, so I guess we're in this funny position of, we, we enjoy this game. We think it's actually pretty good. Mm. It's pretty clever. Mm. And I uh, see what I do there because of the board game. Pretty roll and ride game, pretty clever. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's how that works. Yeah. I, I do like the end of game scoring as well because mm. you don't quite know how many points everyone is going to get because the different types of buildings that you buy will give you different points at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that, that you don't think, oh, well, you have this many buildings, I have this many, so clearly you've won or I've won because I have more than you. It's quite or, obfuscated because there's yeah. a lot of things to think about, like whoever has the largest area right. that they've enclosed. Whoever has the most culture. Yeah, and then some buildings might multiply culture. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it, because you don't get a lot of, you don't get any points through the course of the game apart from culture, which mm. is a resource that directly converts into points. And then you have disaster points which directly convert into negative points right. so you kind of can have a sense for how a person is doing but you don't have a complete idea mm. of where where everyone is standing so you feel like you are still in the game yeah i like that very much actually it's a good game we enjoyed it but i'm not sure it's worth the 80 dollar price tag unless you really really want to build your own tiny medieval city and then feel like a giant as you're stepping onto the plastic don't, no, buildings don't do that. That might hurt your feet. Yeah. Let's talk about something that won't hurt your feet, but it might hurt your brain, and that is Vast the Mysterious Manor. Because, oh my, that is a big rule book that you need to learn from. <laughs> Vast the Mysterious Manor is another asymmetrical game from Leda Games, who did last year's Darling Root. And also Vast the Crystal Caverns, mm. which we have both read the rule book for... <laughs> And and then decided that we're not going to play it. Yeah, because it, it melted my brain. Just I thought I cannot teach this game because I don't understand it myself. And then you said, "Why don't you read it, Efka?" And then I read it, and I thought, "No, this just this isn't worth it. This isn't worth the effort. Whatever this is." However, it's too much. However, vast and mysterious manner is a rule book that I have opened, read, and I thought, look, this is going to be some work, but I think I can teach this. And the reason it is so gigantically, monumentally complicated to teach and learn is because you are playing five different roles, and those roles work by completely different rules. And the only thing that is tying this whole shebang together is basically the place you are in, which in both games is also one of the characters. So mm. in, in Crystal Caverns, one of the characters could be the cave, and in Mysterious Manor, one of the characters can be the manor. Mm, you're playing against the house. The other characters are playing against the house, like in a, in a casino. Yeah, I guess you are the casino. And you are the casino. Yeah, and, and what's funny, thematically... But more mysterious. Yeah, your objective is to make sure that everyone gets trapped inside, <laughs> which is exactly the objective of a casino. And there are no windows. Yeah, well, here you go, Letter Games. There's the idea for Vast number three... <laughs> The, the casino. The crappy casino. I mean, do you play craps in a casino? You do, yeah. So, that's thematic, okay. right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, I think, I, I think sure. we got away with that one. Just, Just about. about. Uh-huh. Just about. Do you know what I don't think doesn't get away? Vast, mysterious manner. I should preface. This is very much our first impressions, like anything on this podcast. But I didn't gel with Vast, mysterious manner. And I don't think you did either. So let's give people some context as to why so first of all if you've played root but have not played vast there are a lot of similarities Mm -hmm. you still have the fantastic kyle ferrin artwork but it doesn't 
work quite as well in Vast, and I think that's because the board game, unlike Root, is glossy. <laughs> and I don't think that Kyle's art lends itself as well to a glossy finish, which is strange. And I I think, honestly, that they would have maybe not made the second box glossy, but because the first box, whilst Crystal Caverns, was glossy, and the game's are compatible with each other, there would be a sort of a artistic mismatch. Like the Deckmaster series. Like the Deckmaster series, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. There would be an artistic mismatch between the two, so they had to make Vast Crystal Caverns glossy again. And it just doesn't sing as much as it should. Some of it just looks sloppy and a little bit weird. And also detracts from the functionality of the game. And I think it'll explain why in just a little bit so the artwork is great it's yeah i love kyle's artwork but it doesn't quite sing as well as it should and i think that's probably to do with production Mm -hmm. right the second thing that's similar to root is of course the asymmetry that everyone Mm -hmm. is playing a completely different faction but at as a style of game you know i feel like vast is trying to be a different thing root is trying to be a Who's on top? Who do we need to knock down? Mm. And a kind of a area control, free for all, where you need to really carefully analyze the board. And Vast is certainly a game that has elements of that. Like, it feels like whack-a-mole. Like, you whack one thing and something else pops up. I think that's a great analogy. One of the key differences is, for example, the victory conditions. So in Root, whoever gets to 30 victory points mm. wins first and that's a symmetrical win condition yeah. for everyone in the game whereas in Vast you all have your own yeah. win conditions so for example if you are the paladin your objective is to kill the spider if you are the skeletons your objective is to kill the paladin if you're the spider you just want to escape the manor if you are the manor you want to trap everyone if you're the warlock I'm not really sure what the warlock does we didn't does. play that did we, uh, we didn't play that so it, 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 the warlock is a very similar character to the manor mm-hmm. but it's it's trying to achieve slightly different things uh, mm-hmm. and I'll give a brief explanation in just a little bit because there's so much to talk about when you talk about Vast. And you know, I'm realizing that we are waffling a little bit when we're talking about Vast, but it's hard not to waffle. There's so much. But yeah, you effectively have uh, multiple different characters who have all different winning conditions, but the one striking difference that I found between Root and Vast Mm -hmm. is that in Root, every faction is a puzzle that you need to figure out. And that puzzle has intricate mechanisms that are compelling. Mm. And even though for me, Root never quite fell together into place, Mm. I just wasn't sure that the entire experience congealed into one thing as much as I wanted it to. Vast, sadly for me, doesn't even get close to that because I don't think the experience for playing each individual character congeals in what I would call a compelling game experience. And I understand why Vast has its fans and a lot of people really like it. Mm. Because at its heart, it's similar to a dungeon crawler. So, for example, you, Elaine, you played the Paladin. What did you do in that game? Yeah, I moved around and tried to kill things. Right, and you gained experience. Right, and I I kind of leveled up my powers and... Yeah. Yeah. So it has that sort of cadence 
of a dungeon crawler almost or there's this other character the spider which is i would say one of the most complicated characters mm. to play where first of all you have free forms so mm. you could be tiny spiderlings mm. you could be a Massive big spider yeah big spider and or you the could, lady spider well it was the sorcerer, sorcerer right okay. so it you're actually you're not a spider you are a sorcerer you just take on spidery forms oh i thought it was the other way around and i'm actually really sad that i didn't play the spider sorcerer mm. because that looked like the most interesting thing because you had to so you had to make sure you could run away and one of the ways you do that is you can turn into spiderlings and they all just kind of split out the board and yeah. you can get really far and then when re you recongeal yeah. you can recongeal into anywhere the, you want anyway anywhere any one of those spiders is yeah, yeah so you pretty much get away but every time the paladin hits you there's less of these little spiders, mm -hmm. but you're trying to set up little bases everywhere you, where you put your eggs and you put blood tokens and you mm. put spider webs and all of those do things and all of those matter. What I played... Was the house. Was the house. Mm. And let me tell you what my experience of playing the house was. Is it? Do you feel like it's like the Vagabond character where it's kind of one against all? I don't know. I, I, I didn't feel like it was any character. I felt it was... It was... Well, okay, so one of the symbols of the house on the board is a, um, a wraith, right? That you put as a miniature on a map to sort of represent you. It's like Spook the... Spook people. It's, well, it's the spirit of the house, and it can't be... A, so it can't be hit by anything, it can't be affected by anything. And it was, it was wholly ethereal. And I think... That is an apt parallel towards my experience mm. of playing the manor because I, yeah, I felt ethereal. Sorry, mm -hmm. I felt wholly ethereal mm. because my entire game was so the objective as the house you're trying to complete a number of seals and you complete seals by drawing a pattern starting from where the wraith is on the map and then drawing a pattern from its location where the pattern is depicted on the card and nothing has to be in the squares of those patterns. So there can't be any enemy plastic pieces mm. in, in the squares where you would draw that pattern. And then you move the wraith from one end to the pattern to the other one. Is that easy to do, Efka? Well, it's, it's not easy to do, but not in a fun way. Mm -hmm. And the reason it's not easy to do is because of, again, the artwork being quite busy and glossy. Uh, and shiny it's hard to spot things it's hard to spot where everything is and also because a lot of people are moving around you can only sort of think about your turn fully mm. once you've gotten to your turn and then what you do is you sit and you look at the board and go uh can i draw this here no can i draw it you, here i know you got confused a couple of times and thought you could do something but it was like the opposite the pattern was the opposite of what was actually on the board exactly right mm -hmm. And that I, I, that's fine. That's just, you know, my mistake. I still ended up winning that game in the end, didn't I? I think so. But I still felt really unsatisfied because all I did was just the entire game, look at the map and go, uh, does this pattern exist here somewhere? And you get some abilities that left you, you know, shift tiles around. And I think that's kind of the real... 
intended purpose of the house is that you're the person that messes with everything so every you know the paladin i'm running after the spiders yeah. the skeletons i'm running after the paladin yeah. and everything has a preset pattern but because you know you're a spooky house right you get to shift get to shift tiles around and you mm. reposition things you're the one that messes with the system so you can move around tiles which means you can put walls where there weren't walls before yeah exactly but you are limited in terms of what you can achieve per turn mm. and you always want one of those things to be to complete a seal and then you kind of go well okay can can i create this pattern yes no and then if yes you sort of move around the house i just didn't feel excited by that and mm. maybe that's did you feel excited about playing the paladin not really no um mm. it was a well it wasn't the same kind of experience because it was a very different character but I never felt like I had achieved anything. Like mm. I felt like my first turn was the same as my third turn was the same as my fifth turn. Mm. I, I didn't feel like I was kind of ramping up my character despite the fact that I was getting more things or being able to place tokens this turn, whereas I couldn't before. I, I didn't feel like that really mattered or affected my game hugely. I still was walking around, running around after this spider... Um, and I, I just didn't, I didn't engage in that character. Mm. I feel like if I'd have played a different character, maybe I would have enjoyed this game more. I didn't hate it by any means, but yeah, it just yeah. wasn't exciting enough. I find that funny to hear because I remember sitting the entire game and watching what you were doing and thinking, well, what Elaine's doing is a lot more fun, right? Uh, and rose-coloured specs. Right? Yeah, I guess. Mm -hmm. I, I, that looks a lot more engaging. And I should say that what we are not, telling people right now is that quite a lot of it has very nice thematic touches you know like the yeah. paladin for example being able to bust through walls yeah. you know if a wall suddenly appears in front of you you know the paladin you have fury you can expend that fury yeah. and suddenly you're breaking through that wall or, right? or leaving a torch behind so the goblins goblins are trapped because they can't move past the light because they live underground and they don't like walking past torches and by goblins you mean skeletons but of course they're completely thematically interchangeable and goblin skeletons whatever they live underground sorry it works it's fu <laughs> it's fine I, but there, I mean there must be skeletons of goblins right I, they, they could potentially be that <laughs> I like that Actually, the the house um, did move around walls. I thought that was really cool because it was so obfuscating for the other players. Like it mm -hmm. was like you were in a um, maze of mirrors or something, right? Yeah. And the house was tricking you and testing you and going, "Oh, you thought you could go this way? No, you can't." Like it. I thought that was really neat. Oh yeah, Vast is absolutely a game with many wonderful thematic touches. It's just that the overhead which is ironic because that seemed to have been the main criticism for Vast Crystal Caverns that the amount of rules learning and teaching you have to do is maybe not doesn't translate well to the amount of depth you get uh -huh. from playing each character and I think Vast Mysterious Manor was meant was meant to be an improvement on that it is certainly improve an improvement in terms of how easy it is to learn and teach still mm. hard still not easy but definitely easier but it still falls down at the same criticism of i'm not sure this was worth it mm. i'm not sure that the time i put into it got me what i wanted out of it and of course once again we've only played this game once so take this very much as a 
first impressions mm. because uh, maybe we just didn't play with the characters that gelled with our personalities mm. and certainly uh, the Kickstarter backers got an expansion that had alternate characters that you mm-hmm. could swap in and alternate roles for skeletons there's a lot to mess around with and a lot to sink your teeth into if you do like that vast experience but I just don't think it was for us yeah there was a lot to do on each character like even the the paladin there was I was doing something every turn I wasn't bored but like you said maybe that character just just didn't gel well with me or maybe didn't have the compelling amount of depth you were expecting from how much you invested yourself into that game Mm. Elaine Mm. are you ready to take a trip to Mr. Fisterland I am. Because we've got not one, but two board games designed by Alexander Fister that we're talking about on this podcast, both brand new. Do you have your ticket? I've got a one-way ticket. Well, I'm I'm engaged in this. Well, good, because we are on an expedition to Newdale. Oh, my goods. Which is one of the board games that we're talking about, Expedition to Newdale, and it is in the Oh, My Goods universe of did you know that there is an oh my goods universe with multiple entries and characters reappearing throughout them this is something like the like, mcu like the mcu but with clemens france artwork which is slightly different amazing from the marvel cinematic Arguably universe better than art the style MCU. it's it's certainly a different take um i i would like to inform i would uh, like to see like um Thor, drawn by Clemens, Clemens Franz. Franz. Though, I would yeah. love to see that, absolutely. Clemens, if you are listening, <laughs> please give us Thor and That'd we will cool, give you it? many many applauses. Mm-hmm. Thunderous applauses. applauses. <laughs> yeah, see see what I did there? Because he's the god of thunder. Anyway, oh my goods, cinematic universe mm-hmm. is a universe of board games uh, where there was a game called Oh My Goods designed by Mr. Fister. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a tiny card game that fit in a tiny box and it was a nice engine builder that I thought was a little bit too fiddly on account of everything being cards. So it didn't have proper game components to represent elements of the game. So it said, why don't cards do everything, you know? And there was a lot of symbols and it was a little convoluted and I enjoyed the game. But it it, it didn't quite sing the way I wanted it to. Then, then after that, All My Goods had not one but two expansions one was an expansion that was a story expansion Mm -hmm. right then you had a prequel called Tybo the Builder which was a different game but set in the Oh My Goods universe and then you also had a second story expansion and finally Expedition to Newdale which is a full-grown board game that is kind of like Oh My Goods but Oh My Goods expanded into a campaign system there Uh, are goods in it there are goods in it. In the format of cards. Yeah, and it plays very similarly to All My Goods. But I would argue, if you are a fan of All My Goods, that this is actually much better. Mm. But first, but first. Because the goods are cubes yeah. instead of cards. With apologies to Lookout Games. And and apologies to everyone who will feel like I am spoiling the story of the previous All My Goods games that were before Expedition to Newdale. Uh, but they've had time to read it. They, they, they had time to read it, but I would really love to do a reading of previously on All My Goods, directly from the rulebook, the very first page of the rulebook. So, previously on All My Goods, five years have passed since the Red Feast. When the king's death was made public, Rob the Builder claimed the throne for himself and was officially crowned king soon after. 
Sam Mertz, former mayor of Canyon Brook, and the Order of the Hooded Ones have gone underground. There is still brittle peace between the Crown and the North, the latter is only slowly recovering. Rabbit, leader of the rebellion, remains the central figure in the North. Thanks to his skill, Nate Welton, do you start to get this feeling that there are a lot of nouns? Uh, Nate Welton, a former assistant of yours, made it to Guildmaster in no time and has since become one of the King's most influential advisors. Chris Chart, Bishop of Longsdale, is still in possession of the old book, which he has finally read. He too is convinced the Ice Giants will return within the next couple of years, which would mark the end of this shattered state. He convinces the king to send an expedition to the new harbour in Canyon Brook and from there over the sea to the land of the Ice Giants in hopes of averting the threat with diplomacy or even warfare. If it comes to that, Nate Welton, the king's hand, will accompany you on your journey. Elaine, there's everything in this. There's Ice Giants, there's Nate Welton, there's Rabbit, there's also Chris Chart, who is a bishop, and I, I just I just felt or, like I was completely thrown into this. I feel like it's kind of Game of Thronesy. Well, yeah, I, do you know what? When we were talking to Lookout Games in uh, Essen, mm-hmm. they were like, oh, wait till you read the story, it's like Game of oh, Thrones. Oh, they say that? Yeah, it, okay. they, they literally went, <laughs> I it's mean, like... it is, kind so, of. I like don't red, red wedding or whatever. Red red feast. Red feast. Okay, yeah, there yeah. was the red feast. Okay. So I don't feel bad about making fun of the story in Expedition to New okay. Dell because I don't think that the publishers themselves take it seriously, if I'm honest. Mm. But I find it weird that they decided to say that this is a campaign game, right? And you're following a story, and the story is incredibly silly. I mean, mm. it is just downright silly. It's mostly just nouns throwing at you and i do i i know i'm being harsh table banana (laughs) sorry nouns with capital letters right proper nouns proper nouns yeah uh welton nate welton uh rabbit uh, red feast (laughs) ice giants um but i i do i do want to i do want to make a friendly kind of fun of it Mm. if that makes sense because i think if you say to people oh this is a campaign game with a story uh these days you might Come into that with a certain amount of expectation. Funnily enough, the next game we're going to be talking about on this podcast, also an Alexander Fister game, also has a campaign mm. and sort of narrative thing, Maracaibo. And I, whilst I don't feel like the writing in that game is any better, I think it works a lot better. Because the way Expedition to New Dale works, really, the, the, the whole story thing, is that there are simply eight modules in it. And you, and you can play them in a sequential manner where they, you know, introduce different mechanisms and take mechanisms away. But you could just as easily pick any of the modules, you know, and just play it. And maybe there's a little bit more of a rules overhead, you know, if you're not familiar with so you the, don't oh my feel goods. like there's a sensible progression through the game. Is I that mean, what you're saying? There's, I don't feel like any decision that you make within this game is, is going... Is influential on the yes, other modules. Exactly, uh-huh. right? You simply just play another game and it has a different rule set, right? Mm. And whilst I think, actually, looking at those modules, we've only played the first one. So this is, once again, very much first impressions, you know? Uh we only play the first one, but looking at the modules, they introduce significant rules changes. And those modules will make it feel like you're playing a slightly different experience, right? Mm. Which is really cool. I just don't want people to think that this is a story-driven campaign game, right? So Nate Welton looks like Alf Garnet. He does, right? (laughs) I was like, you know, Nate Welton sounds so much cooler than when you actually see him Mm. because he looks 
I don't know, he has that sort of stereotypical monk bald cut where like the bottom of your head still has hair, but there's but there's a very significant cutoff point. I think he's and, just bald. Well, yeah. I like, he has a large moustache. He does have a large moustache and large eyebrows. Hair. Yeah, I, I I like the artwork. I think it's funny. It's very Clemens Franz, uh, which it always is when you're Clemens Franz. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it it just doesn't lend itself to sing to uh to this narrative narrative world that they are building. You know? I, I disagree. I, I like it. It sets the game up right, for how okay. it's going to be when you play it because it reminds you of, oh my good. So you know that the game mm. is going to be based in this world of, of oh my goods with Tybal the Builder and round the corner who's like the old Tom Bombadil character that never is seen again. And He's robbed the builder now, I believe. Is or, it the same it, guy? No, I don't know. There must be more than one builder. There right? must be more in builders this, yeah, in, this world. in this universe. Because I, I'll be honest, I played oh my goods. I never played any of the story expansions, even though I have them. This, <laughs> I, I, fa- I found the narrative setup for this to be, I don't know. We, I, I think when we read it out loud, we had a good chuckle. And, yeah. and, and that is a good thing, right? It's just that I don't want people... This is such a long preamble for what is effectively saying this is not a story-driven campaign game. But oh my goods, the board game Expedition to Newdale, I quite enjoyed. So, here's the sort of gameplay premise, right? You have cards. These cards can become buildings. You play these buildings to your player board and they will produce various resources, right? And when you produce resources, you can produce them sloppily mm. or normally or you can you can push it a little bit mm. right and there's a whole push your luck element in the game where once you've commit basically actions in terms of what you're going to be doing there is a bag full of three different color meeples and those meeples are drawn and depending on how many of those meeples come out of a certain color of a certain color that's where is whether you're action triggers or not so if you want to build sloppily for example it's easy you need, it's easy you need yeah. one fewer meeple of this color yeah and if you want to build extremely well whatever the term for that was um you need one more for example yeah so there's a nice simple push your luck mechanism that actually works a lot better than it is in all my goods mm. and that's because once again uh, expedition to new dale is a full grown adult board game uh because when when you were playing All My Goods, there was a whole system of cards. You just keep drawing the same cards from the same deck right. that you use to build with, except now you're looking for a different symbol, and when you've got two suns, or you, when you find two suns on the cards, then that's where the push your yeah. element stops, and, whether you, and that sort of determines whether you get enough symbols for to build whatever it is that you need to build. And that varied wildly, because sometimes you drew two cards and sometimes you drew 15 and, you know, it felt really, really swingy. Whereas now, because you have a separate component, mm. these meeples that you draw mm. from a bag, it feels a lot more contained. Right. And there's... there's a- it's one part of the game instead of kind of spread out through the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. It's and, a less broad range. Right. And you feel like you can sort of make that guess. It's, it's less wild. It's less swingy. You, yeah. you feel the risk that you are putting in. Yes. But like with oh my goods, you can combine resources to make new things. So you can combine wheat and I think coal or something to make bread. Yeah, there are basically, uh, each card will produce uh, a different resource. But 
uh, and when you commit to producing, it will produce some. But then, if you have other resources that thematically chain into that resource, so I'm going to use example that maybe isn't in the game, but like you said, you know, mm. there's bread right and mm. to make bread maybe there's a wheat resource and right. a coal resource and then you cook it right yeah. and if you have those resources already out there then you can use them up and make even more bread so even though you're making some bread through that push your luck element mm. you're also making additional bread and there's different ways that work sometimes you can have cards that you can discard from your hand right. sometimes you can have resources that are already on the board and you combine them together but once again it works better than in all my goods because it isn't governed by that whole thing. Everything is a card. There is just separate tokens. Yeah, and, and my point that. was that takes away from the luck element because you know what cards are in your hand. Mm. You can buy cards from a display of cards mm -hmm. um, and you can play those. So you know what resources you're making. Yeah, exactly. It just felt more cohesive and there were more interesting elements in the game. Uh, the map is another element that's added. So every time you build a building, you can hopscotch through the map actually mm. placing a building and you have secret scoring conditions mm, that... Which are based on those buildings? Well, yeah, which are based on locations on the map. So the locations have symbols and if you match those symbols mm. to ones on your scoring conditions, you'll get extra things. Mm. Uh, and, points. And points, effectively, yeah. <laughs> and that's a nice little element. And... I'm sure I've looked through the other modules and they, they changed the game, like the sailing and and obviously that brings its own new mechanisms. And also there's a deck of numbered cards that you do bring in, but th there were some things that didn't quite gel right with the rulebook for me. Mm -hmm. So first of all, there, there was mm. some confusing wording, which I think I asked Alexander Fister and he said, no, it works this way. And I'm like, that's not really how the English rulebook reads. Mm. And thankfully, we were at Essen with uh, a couple of people in our hotel who are also playing that game. And I noticed that they immediately had that question. And right. I said, oh, well, I found out how that works. And they said, oh, we know why this is because we speak German. Right. And they read the German rulebook and said, well, in German, it does make sense. But if you translate it directly into English, the sort of the meaning so switches around in, yeah, in, a, in a way that's not intended. I right. See. And so the, the, there are a few issues with the rulebook, especially where uh, it tells you a, as part of setup that when you play module one, the setup tells you exactly how to set up module one. But then the setup also tells you uh, to give each person a character to draft from, mm. right? And then there's a little bit to the side in a speech bubble that said... In, in Nate Welton's speech In Nate Welton's speech mm -hmm. bubble that says, oh, maybe He's only... the Clippy of this rulebook. Exactly. Uh -huh. So the Clippy Nate Welton says, oh, maybe only do this in module two. But... There are no other setup bits for module two. Mm. And actually, we missed that bit. And when we played it, you end up with a character that does nothing. <laughs> yeah, because, because the card doesn't come out. It doesn't exist yeah, it in brings that first you, module. Yeah, the character brings you a card, a vineyard, but yeah. that card isn't in that module. And uh, we were like, why doesn't this work? Well, because it's not meant to. So there are some issues with the rulebook. But overall, I thought it was a pretty enjoyable experience. If you've played Oh My Goods before... This is definitely the best version of Oh My Goods that I've played, and I'm going to keep playing it, potentially maybe make a video on it. We don't know. Uh, it depends on how the other modules play out. Yeah, I had a good time playing it. Yeah. I would definitely play it again. I enjoyed Oh My Goods more than you did, though. So. That's true. It's also worth noting that when we played it with some people, 
uh, who prefer deterministic games more, uh, they were wincing at the push your luck element mm. in a what is effectively engine building Euro game. Mm. If you're one of those people, then maybe stay away from Expedition to New Dale. But for us, uh, I found it fairly enjoyable. Okay, it's time. It's the star of this episode, Morakaibo, the game everyone has been talking about, Essenspiel. We were so excited to play it that at 12 o'clock on a Saturday, midnight. Was it a Saturday? It was a Saturday. Does it matter when you're at Spiel? I sat down with... Uh, no, it was a Friday. Sorry. It was a Friday. Well, 12 o'clock Saturday morning. 12 o'clock yeah, Saturday okay. morning. I sat down with a couple of my friends, name drop, Isaac Childers <laughs> in there, and Frank, uh, West. Frank West from City of Games. And we said, do you know what? Do you know what? Do you know what? It doesn't matter that it's midnight and we're really tired because this is Essenspiel. This was our third day in there for some of them their fourth day mm-hmm. it didn't matter we just sat down and played this game that i've learned from the rule book without having had it set up and then we didn't have the table space so we pulled five different little tables five together tiny like side tables side together. tables and and we made it space was a, a mission but we did it we did it and it, i wasn't even playing it <laughs> yeah because you said i'm going to bed now <laughs> <laughs> uh uh, in retrospect, I am not jealous because I think I had a pretty good time yeah. with Maracaibo. Yeah. But I've experienced what you have experienced when you played Maracaibo for the first yeah. time, which is that I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> like, like Je- even though I was the one who learned the game from the rulebook and taught it, I was so out of my depth. Because Maracaibo, much like other Alexander Fister heavier titles like Mombasa or Great mm. Western Trail or Blackout Hong Kong, it is a heavy, heavy baby. And unlike Blackout Hong Kong, but much like Mombasa and Great Western Trail, it is a very enjoyable baby. I th- I think. I think. I'm not sure whether it's as good as those two mm. or better than those two, but it is certainly an experience that I found a lot more engaging than Blackout Hong Kong. So if you're not familiar with Blackout Hong Kong, you can always watch a video uh, where I think I did a pretty reasonable job of covering that game because it is mechanically very intricate and different. But ultimately, the mechanisms, whilst the mechanisms are strong and they engage you on your first play, Mm. you realize that there there just isn't enough for you to latch onto in that game that makes you keep wanting to explore that puzzle yeah it is a little bit samey the cards are are very similar to each other they have different values for effects but but they they don't have different many different effects some do but none that particularly engage with the systems of the game in an interesting way maracaibo is none of that because it is primarily just a giant deck of cards that has wildly different effects and different abilities and different ways it engages with the systems. And on top of that, it's also got a whole slew of Alexander Pfister best of, <laughs> like, you know, mechanisms from from, from all of his games. Mm-hmm. There's, well, okay, there isn't Isle of Sky, but there is elements <laughs> from Oh My Goods. Mm-hmm. There is elements from Mombasa, specifically yeah, uh, sure. the... Uh, share tracks, which aren't really shares, but they're called share tracks. But there's a mechanism that is very similar to that. 
And the game it reminds me most of, which is Great Western Trail, mm. because it has that whole rondelle system of traveling around mm. a map, reaching Where a finish. you can go as far as you kind of want, but you up can't... Up to a limit. Up to a limit, but yeah. you can't go back. Yes. And uh, when you reach the end, like, scoring happens, right? Mm. But unlike Great Western Trail, it works in a very different way. And also, I should say, even though it borrows heavily from all of his other past mm. games, there is a strong sense that this is very much its own game and it plays like its own game. It doesn't feel like any of his past titles. It feels like Morakaibo and nothing else. And I think that makes it very, very strong. Mm. For me, uh, it's very much a game that I would need to play several times uh, to get my head around. Mm. Uh, I've only played it once. Mm-hmm. Um, and I struggled with all the iconography of everything. But I think if I played it a couple more times, like that would be solidified in my head. What I did like was how there were those different tracks. So there was the share track and then there was kind of the main track that you moved around and then there was an exploration track. uh, And it was a balance between how far you move on each of those. Well, let's give people an idea of what the game is actually Mm. about. So Maracaibo said in the Caribbean, um, much like... Some other Alexander Fister games, it has strangely problematic themes because, you know, it's it's not like the Caribbean, you know, Age of Exploration was like a nice, sunny no. period in human history, right? Uh, I think it was... Uh, Mombasa definitely drew some heavy criticism right. for its depiction of colonialism in Africa. Mm. And... Um, and even though the rulebook included some, oh, you know, explanation, you know, hey, hey, this, you might want to read up on the history of this. I, I think Alexander Fister himself admitted that, you know, I probably didn't handle that theme as carefully as I should have. It's a really tricky thing to do. It is. And ironically, you know, Blackout Hong Kong was never going to be a problematic theme. It's an interesting theme mm. and it's definitely full of conflict, of human conflict, right? But up until a couple of weeks ago, it wasn't, you know, a sore theme, but no. with the recent events happening in Hong Kong that strangely parallel what the game <laughs> describes, you know, suddenly fe- the game starts to feel prophetic almost in a way. Yeah, but uh, that's not his fault. That is, ab- no, but <laughs> but that's why I said, you know, like many Alexander Fister games rather than just like Mombasa, right? Yeah. Because I don't think there's anything problematic about cows. Unless you don't like, like me, you don't like cows, which then I guess there there is something problematic about cows. I really don't like cows. Cows are incredibly stupid and one of them almost killed us once. Cows are, humans are problematic when it comes to cows. Well, that's true. We need so many of them. Yeah. Beef and milk and whatever that we've put so many cows on this planet that well, that's, it's that's, affecting the ozone layer. But I don't think that's what the game is about. Nor it's does not it what need to tackle game that. Is referring to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so Morikaibo is set in the Age of Exploration mm-hmm. of Caribbean. You sail around the Caribbean. You start mm-hmm. in Havana, I believe, mm-hmm. and then you're you reach. Um, as of yet unnamed endpoint on the map. Basically, there's there's little arrows and branching paths, and along those paths, you have cities or towns where and... you can stop and deliver goods to, and you get certain things. Yeah, exactly. Do that. So th- the main mechanism is that you can either stop at a town or at a city, 
If you, uh, if you stop at a city, you can make a delivery of a good, which lets you take off a little pip off your player board. You take enough pips, you unlock new abilities. Mm. So that's cool. But then you get to do a whole action. Mm. Whereas if you stop at a town... Or a village. Or a village, yeah. yeah that has its own set of uh, actions that you can do. They're associated with it. Yes, but 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 the cool thing about uh, Morakaibo is that it's a campaign game. Mm. So all these locations on the board are not static if you choose to play the campaign mode. And I know, I know that a lot of people are immediately being put off because... You, if you if you've been around board games lately and you're an enthusiast, you know that there's been a whole sort of host of let's explore this whole idea of mm. a campaign board game, and they consume so much time, mm. they require an inordinate amount of investment, and some games have pulled it off, like Gloomhaven, even though they're expansively big. I think they're intricate enough and interesting enough that people get engaged and drawn back into mm. them. And I think the important thing with Gloomhaven and, and with Murakaibo is that you don't necessarily have to play with the same people all the time. Well, that's where I think Murakaibo really succeeds mm. at the campaign element because what happens is you're still playing a Alexander Fister heavy Euro game mm. and there are campaign elements that change the game as it goes along. But when you sit down to play the next time, like the story isn't, particularly engaging or anything to write home about it's not quite as farcical as oh my goods the board game expedition <laughs> to newdale but it is it's just a bit spartan but the reason it works is because the game responds to mechanical things that you do mm. you know and and those mechanics gel with the narrative of the game of what it's trying to say and then it imparts changes but those changes aren't so significant so uh, you don't feel like if someone hasn't played even like let's say half of the campaign that they couldn't just sit down and play with you no, because they're just gonna be playing a euro yeah because what's happening effectively is the game continuously introduces new mechanisms mm. and those mechanisms persist through games and sometimes they might even be removed and i think that's really cool because the same people don't have to stay right. and play? Because you would just teach them the game with that new mechanism or with that mechanism taken out. Yeah. And I, I actually like what is... We haven't played Maracaibo that much, but what no. I've seen, I really like how the game evolves. I've already seen glimpses of certain strategies becoming stronger. And I don't want to spoil too much what it is because right. I would like people for them to discover it themselves. But it made sense thematically as to you know well okay as time goes on and and you know the caribbean changes it it, it makes sense that this is now more a mechanism that gets introduced in into the whole mm. system right mm. and makes makes this particular option stronger mm -hmm. than it was before and i'm being mm -hmm. very deliberately vague yeah, sure because i don't want to spoil too much yeah it feels good when you unlock something new mm. in that game mm. certainly it feels interesting and hey this is a cool new change i don't feel like we'll spoil it for anyone if if they just get join the game or whatever right. it's fine or i don't feel like my friend is going to be particularly upset if i don't play with them mm. uh the next time i play this game because they have to be somewhere else or whatever mm. you know they'll just come in at a different point yeah in time yeah exactly because nothing is tracked there's no experience or player characters or anything yeah. like that, you could just sit down and play again. Uh, uh, and I think that works beautifully. So kudos to Alexander mm. Fister. I think he figured out what a campaign game for a Euro game needs to be in 2019. Mm. Yeah, it, it was. I liked very much how uh, there were characters 
in the game that then became possibly cards that you could play and and you would have these characters yeah they were introducing the story right Right, yeah the story yeah again like deliberately vague yeah but um yeah that felt really neat and like we were progressing through something because when you revealed that character from your from Mm -hmm. your deck yeah uh you're like oh yeah i got this this person now it felt like it mattered yeah that that's the that's the thing the the mechanisms that it introduced felt like they mattered to propel the story along and let's not forget that the whole of morakaibo i found you know to be pretty compelling and i I think you did as well Mm. just judging i know you got overwhelmed by the amount of symbols because (laughs) yes because here's the thing so morakaibo uh much like great western trail is a game where you have a hand of cards and you cycle them and you yeah. try and get a cohesive hand of cards. But unlike Great Western Trail, so in Great Western Trail, you make a delivery when you reach the end of the map yeah. and the quality of your cards sort of determines how far you can shoot up on certain tracks. Mm. Morakaibo doesn't do that mm. because unlike Great Western Trail, the round ends, so there's four rounds in the game, the round ends when one person reaches the end mm. of the track and that determines when the round ends for everyone whereas in great western trail there was a whole kind of cyclical thing yeah and it was more of a deck builder it does mean that you could leave someone in in your dust which means they wouldn't be able to do as many actions well strangely counterintuitively i've thought about this for a while and actually i think everyone does the same Same number of actions actions. right but then okay let me let me clarify that they Mm. may not be able to do the actions they want to do yes whereas you have because you've gone boom 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 I want to do these six actions in this whole round and I've yes. done them all and they need to do 12 actions to reach the same point because maybe they're you know they have a different game plan right and they now can't do them and they also don't reach that end spot that gives mm. an extra bonus also have you if you've been racing towards the end have you been sacrificing on the good actions that you wanted to do for your plan well that's the balance right, right? that that is the balance and 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 of course there's there's two main scoring mechanisms so you have uh, the expeditions which is again another track that you have a little man that bounces along and whatever spot it ends on you that, get the thing you get the thing right that's points, depicted on coins, the spot yeah whatever also there is the uh fighting mechanism which i found uh, thematically delightful because the way it works is y- you don't fight against each other you fight for a nation <laughs> yeah. so there are three nations in the game you have England uh, France and Spain France and Spain and uh, when you decide to fight you will flip this token over <laughs> right yeah. and then it'll list some combat values for those countries and the higher the combat value for that country the better and at that point you can sort of evaluate and go who do I'll, I want to fight for? Yeah, I'll fight with England because right now they seem like they've got it together, you know. But next time you can fight for France. Yeah. Because you're like pirates and you don't care. Yeah, you're, you're effectively mercenaries yeah. and, and you'll align with your, yourself with whoever is doing best, right? Mm. Uh, but the whole idea is that if you're fighting for a country, you increase your influence with that country. Mm. And the further you are in influence with them it's the, a multiplier the higher the multiplier you get for the scoring of that country and the scoring of that country is determined by cubes you've put out on the map from that country which is also governed by the fighting mechanism but you can't do everything all the time and shows their influence in the caribbean yes so someone might be really really pushing one of the tracks 
for fighting by going, aha, okay, I'll, let's say, push really high on France because my influence with them is high, but also I'll put a lot of France's cubes and therefore the multiplier is higher, the points values are higher, I'll get a lot of points. Whereas someone else who's not as invested into fighting they could simply push their influence with France, but not push the cubes that much. So there's a lot of there's a lot of ecosystems that mm. sort of cohabit each each mm. other in this game, and it's I found it engaging to dabble in them and see what does what and push some levers. I'm not sure Maracaibo is a great game yet because mm. I think we are right now just sort of pulling just levers, yeah, yeah, and seeing what happens. Another one is where you have little meeples and you can put them at certain points on the track mm. and then you get a bonus when you go to those spots but only you you can own it's only you that can do the action that is associated with that spot yeah you send out an assistant and he sits in that place and just sort of hang hangs out until your ship lands there mm. and then you get to do a cool thing and that's governed by the cards that you get and once again the cards keep cycling and cycling mm. and you want to find great combinations between a whole myriad of different mm. effects. There's, uh, you get to increase your points income per round, your money income per round. You get various exceptions and new abilities, <laughs> and you'll be better Influence at exploring on, or fighting. On different tracks, yeah. yeah. Right. There's just so much you can find. Better exploration. And, yeah, and combine together. Mm. And when you realize that if you play the campaign mode, which you don't have to, by the mm. way, you can just play the game. As a is standalone. standalone game, that's mm. completely fine. And it, we played it, it works, it's great, mm. right? But also there's no reason to just not play the campaign game because there's no real commitment mm. to it, right? There's a whole deck of cards if you play the campaign <laughs> game. There's a whole deck of cards that are going to get added and mm. they have their own abilities. I don't know. I, I, I am kind of smitten... And honestly, I'm just sitting here recording this podcast and going, well, you know what? If we finish this podcast earlier, we could just go and knock out another <laughs> game of Maracaibo. If that's not an endorsement, I don't know what is. <laughs> I, I stuffed myself in that game because the cards that have the actions on them also operate as resources. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I got overexcited when I was like, yes, I can do this thing because I have the resources for it. And then I was like hang on, I'm sure I had this really good card that worked really well with this other card. Wait, oh no, I spent it as a good. Yeah, so, because there's was... about three different ways you can use cards. Right. You can you can use them for their abilities. You can use them for goods depicting and there's two different kinds of goods. Yeah. One's a good for quests, uh -huh. the other's for delivering to cities. So that, that, that's three different ways you can use cards. And there's, it's a big puzzle. It's a puzzle I enjoy diving into, and I think I'm going to keep enjoying that for a while. Like I said, I do feel like I need to play it again a couple of times now that I've kind of got my head around it a bit mm. more. But if you do kind of realise you've messed up, mm. there doesn't feel like there's any real catch-up mechanism because the better that you're doing, the better you will do because the more income you will get, the more influence you have. The card combinations are very important. And until you realize how to combine cards well, mm. you know, you might just spend the first round playing things that don't really gel well together. Right. And that, that doesn't propel you further enough, right? And or, or what, Which is what I did in the first round was mm. thought, okay, well, I've got these cards that work really well together, but actually mm. they're really expensive. So I can't play them yet. And I need something that does something more immediate. So I got rid of, you have to discard, you get eight cards and you discard down to five. So I mm. discarded some of the cards that actually I should have kept. Yeah. And now I know that for, for my second game or 
you know, subsequent games. You can definitely put yourself in a position that feels very unrewarding. Specifically, well, it's strangely, even though the game is a race of like, you know, I, am I going to make it to all the spaces before the round ends mm. because someone's going to trigger the end of the round? But counterintuitively, it is a game where you want to dawdle as much as possible because mm. the more you do, the better it is for you. But then you might be in a situation where if you haven't built up your engine very well, you simply don't have the resources to dawdle. And, you know, and you just find you, yourself having nothing to do. So you race towards the end. Mm. But even though you have, you get a, a few points for being the first to reach the ending, it's not really enough to offset all the things that the other players are getting. And then there's sort of this moment of jealousy that's developing and you don't know how to climb out of that hole. There is a little bit of a race on the exploration track too because if you're yes. the first to pass certain points, you get more reward. Mm-hmm. The uh, lightsaber symbols. Like the lightsaber symbols. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the lightsaber symbols is is a comment on the game's artwork because <laughs> whilst the cards, I think, has... The cards have excellent artwork on them that, that depict the characters right. that you play. The board itself is a little bit lacking in graphical design, and there are certain spaces on the exploration. I just like it. It's functional. It's functional, but it's very board game from the nineties, you know. <laughs> and I, I, it was very telling where on the exploration track, right, uh, or expedition track. I can't remember what it's called, but like there's certain, like you said, there's certain spaces. If mm. you pass first, you get a little bit more points mm. or whatever. But they literally they have the artwork. Of the blade of a lightsaber, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and it, in lightsaber colors. Yeah, because it's red, blue, and green, green and uh, and those exact lightsaber colors <laughs> as well. So it just looks like Star Wars came out of nowhere in the Caribbean. <laughs> I, I was very perplexed by that. So yeah, I, I wish the graphical design was tighter. I also wish that the rule book was a little bit mm. tighter. There's a few mistakes here and there that we spotted, and uh, but overall, I, I would probably if okay, if if you want to make sure that the euro game you are getting is the greatest and the best maybe wait till we've explored it a little bit more and have a cohesive verdict on whether this is as good as great western trail or as good as mombasa but if you are a fan of alexander fister games and you you kind of want to know is this blackout hong kong or am i just going to have a good time you're going to have a good time mm. I, I i think at this stage it's pretty safe to say that i think it combines a lot of his good elements together in one game. Mm, but uh, like we said before... But it feels very like its own game, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Da, 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 da. It's time for the mailbag. We haven't got a jingle for the mailbag, but I maybe think... Maybe I should write one. Ma maybe I already did. Oh, go on then. Well, I just did it. <laughs> was not good. Should we move on to the questions? Okay, so uh, <laughs> after last week... Last week? After the last podcast, we received quite a few good questions... We're not going to read out all of them on this episode. We're going to save them and trickle them out through the episodes. But if you have your own questions, or if specifically you want to discuss this episode and leave a comment, you can always go to nopunincluded.com slash podcast and leave a comment under the corresponding episode. We would very much appreciate it. And you can start a discussion and see if anyone else joins in. But if you want to write us a question you can always write to fka at nopunincluded.com and in the subject, please write podcast question and it will fall into the corresponding folder where I will open it and go, ha, huh, 
that's a good question. Today's question comes from Matthew Taylor. He says, hello, Efka and Elaine. Hello, Matthew Taylor. Hello, Matthew Taylor. Matthew Taylor has just finished listening to our latest podcast. Mm -hmm. And uh, as we were discussing Tapestry, specifically our first game, Elaine, you mentioned how you chose a strategy and had difficulty with that strategy or adjustment during the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, Matthew has recently listened to the Space Cats Peace Turtles Mm -hmm. episode discussing different play styles, reserved, aggressive, economic, etc. for Twilight Imperium and how those styles change their games and he was interested how we see our particular styles when it comes to learning and reviewing games also do we have a specific play group and do we feel like we get a good idea of different play styles prior to our reviews Mm. thanks says matt (laughs) thank you uh, I know your answer to this might be quite a lot different from mine. Ooh. Um, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. But I feel like um, because we do play quite a lot of games uh-huh. um, and we might only play them four or five times, Yes, I like to push all the buttons in a game. Absolutely. So um, I don't necessarily have a single play style. Well, that is my play style. But mm. I, I don't necessarily play a game very aggressively or to definitely win this game. Oh, I... this is funny because I already disagree. Okay. Well, with, with, yeah, with me. Yeah. Because I think you very much like to attack the game head well, on. Well, that's true. That is true. I'm Generally, I'm an aggro player, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when I used to play Magic, I always played Red. Um, little callback there. I don't yeah. know. Um, so, no, you are right. Like, I guess there is that kind of do things as fast as possible and see what happens mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and see if I can get points early in the game and get myself a lead. Uh, that I guess that is correct. But I also do like to, to explore different things. So what does this do? What does this do? Um, when we played Tapestry, I, I thought, okay, I'm going to stick to this track and see what this does. And then mm-hmm. when we played again, I thought, okay, I'm going to pick a different track. Not because the first track didn't work out for me, mm-hmm. or the first tracks, combination of tracks didn't work out for me, but because I need to know what else things do. And I think that's partly my own brain and partly because if I don't do that, then how can I comment on how those work in the game for the review, I I see what you're saying. I I have a multi sort of layered answer to this question. First, I want to kind of answer the reviewing mm. side of play styles because I agree with you that I like to initially explore, do an exploratory style right. where you know we want to push buttons and see what happens. But then I always feel like we when we we wrap that up after mm. some place. And then we jump into, okay, but let's see if this game has legs now, right? Well, yeah, for sure. Uh, but when it comes to a personal preference, I think I'm definitely more of a tempered player, if that makes sense. I think sense. so, too. You always used to play blue. <laughs> Blue-white. <laughs> all right, all right, okay. Uh, please take away magic sorry. from my life. I'm so I just sorry. don't want to hear so about it anymore. I'm so sorry. For those not in the know, I used to organize Magic the Gathering tournaments, and I am done but you definitely like the slow burn and then the punch at the end yeah absolutely i i like to surround myself with a controlled environment mm. and then which is arguably a more kind of refined play style honestly i don't know if it is because i i i well oh my god delving <laughs> back into magic the gathering it's, in, it's not my fault this time yeah. but i think the analogy 
you know, uh, with uh, Magic the Gathering and the aggressive and the control players yeah. was always that, well, the aggressive players are the aggressive, meaning they're more brainless. They're just like bash, 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 uh-huh. thing, bash things. But actually, what you're required to do is you're required to play quite an aggressive strategy mm. that has to be very refined because the margins are much oh, slimmer, absolutely. right? Yeah. So to play in that play style well... You have to be much more careful and precise. You also have to think about, okay, if this doesn't propel me as far as I want it to, yeah. what can I do? What, what, what am I going to do? What happens next? Yeah. Yeah, if you run out of steam. What can I do to mitigate this? I can't, like, hit a wall and then, like, everyone else charges ahead. Yeah, and that's it. So, uh, yeah, I think I think we're sort of vaguely familiar with each other's play styles. And what's funny is that we covered Vast today. And when, <laughs> yeah. I, when I was learning Vast... I thought to myself, when I looked at all the roles, I thought, I'm going to enjoy playing the manor the most, and Lane's going to enjoy playing the paladin the most, because the paladin is the sort of brash, aggressive one, right? Whereas the manor, you literally control the environment right. around you. And we both ended up hating those roles and wished a we were playing bit, something yeah, else. But I think I, I enjoy programming in mm-hmm. a game. So even if a game doesn't really have a programming mechanism, I'm still kind of doing that in my head. I think because I play with a fairly aggressive style, mm-hmm. I need to know what's going to happen on turn five. Yeah. So that I know that I'm not going to run out of steam by, you know, turn three. Mm. Mm. But I, I think what we're finding right now in answering this question is that the world of board games is so vast and so diverse Fast. in in nice. terms yeah, yeah. <laughs> in terms of what it can present and offer is that there is no one cohesive answer oh, no, to what sure. your playstyle is. It it depends on on what type of game it is mm. and w- what environment you are surrounded by. And answering the question about you know do we have particular playgroups and how do we feel like those impact the review? Well, I mean, there's only there's only so many friends you can surround yourself with. And yeah, of course, our friends have particular tastes and preferences. And of course, those color our impressions of the game. I, I remember very fondly, there's a Mark Kermode film review. I can't even remember what the film was, but it was some sort of comedy. And he felt like saying, look, I enjoyed this film, but I need to preface that before this film, me and my friend went and had a pizza, right? And I, I enjoyed that pizza very much. And then I went to watch this movie. So, you know, that's... So he was in a good mood. Well, yeah, he was in a yeah. good mood, right? Because of the pizza. Uh-huh. He felt the uh-huh. need to say, jokingly, yeah. that he had a pizza and that influenced his, potentially, his approach to that film. I think because we were last talking about Maracaibo, like I had Euros in my head when yeah. I was saying the answer. But of course, if I'm playing like a, you know, Sherlock Holmes consulting detective, I don't want to like bang through it as quickly as possible. Exactly. I want to enjoy the story. Yeah. But I think I think this question someone also, there's an eternal discussion happening about reviewer bias, you know. And yeah. my answer to that is that, yes, bias. Bias is everywhere. Everything has bias you can't not have bias and you can't like you can only do so much to make people of course there are things like for example hey i took money for this review well you probably shouldn't review it then right mm-hmm. and you 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 have to disclose that obviously but there are so many things you can disclose like hey when i played this game i was kind of ill you know and i wasn't feeling that <laughs> or well or i just had a pizza <laughs> or i just had a pizza right people just don't put that stuff into reviews because it's an it's, it's just an, an endless cycle of like 
putting all kinds of disclosures. You know, mm. hey, two o'clock, my solicitor rang me and told me some bad news. You know, mm. that influenced me. There have been games, definitely, that we have <coughs> played and played and loved, right? And then we've shown them to a different group and gone, yeah. this game is brilliant. Let's play this game. Yeah. And then we've had a terrible time because it just wasn't the right group of people to play that game. Yeah. So there's not the one size fits all type mm. of game it, it's definitely a personal preference i think what's important to mention is that as people who view reviewing you know from a professional angle we've done this for long enough now to recognize that there are a lot of factors that can influence mm. us and we are more and more aware of them and we're very good at I think we are very good at separating like look is this just this are we just having a good time or is yeah. this game good you know for sure and, and always we we also i think one of the things i the way i describe no open included to uh people is i say you know we try and divorce ego as much as possible from it because it's, it's not so much about whether we like the game but whether you're going to like the game and this podcast is obviously very much just our colored opinions mm. but when it comes to our videos you're always going to have some sort of objective view based on, you know, your experience, what mm. you had to eat that day, your culture, your background, whatever. Yeah. Right? But um, I think we do try hard to go, okay, we didn't like this. This game didn't gel with us. We didn't like it that much. But mm. you might like it if dot, 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 mm. right? If you like this game or, or whatever. Or we really, really like this game, but it might not be for you because X, Y, Z. Mm. Right. And I think from the start, that was what we tried to do. I think we've gone off topic slightly. Well, we have, but <laughs> I think it's an interesting topic to dissect. Mm. And mm. that's why I thought this question was excellent mm. and why I put it forward first. But it's a great question. Thank it, you, Matthew. Thank Taylor. you, Matthew. But there are many more questions in mm. many future episodes to come and many more board games that we are going to be talking about. But for now, why don't you say goodbye, Elaine? Goodbye, Elaine. Goodbye, Elaine.